to In Search of Tarot, a podcast for the mystically curious and epically magical. Through conversations on tarot, spirituality, and mysticism, my goal with this podcast is to create a friendly, accessible space to think critically about the unknown and the unknowable. It is my belief that truth comes to us in the form of questions rather than answers. So let's enjoy the journey together. Welcome back to In Search of Tarot. My name is Nick, and I'm a white, queer, non-binary tarot reader, teacher, and writer. And I'm honored, as always, to be your host. I hope all of you felt loved and supported in whatever way you needed over this past Mother's Day weekend. I, myself, am privileged to have an amazing mom, but my father has been estranged from me for most of my adult life, and so I know how tender these holidays can be. I actually was thinking to myself yesterday um, as I doom scrolled <laughs> that this is one moment where I, I really am thankful for social media because I think before uh, we had it, I think for people who did not have um, a quote unquote typical experience on Mother's Day, which, you know, really, what is that? Um, I think it was, you, you felt very alone, you know, you could have felt very alone in that experience. And it's nice on these holidays, Mother's and Father's Day, um, to be able to connect with people around the world who have not the easiest time on that day for whatever reason. And social media does kind of allow for that. So I've, I felt grateful for that connection yesterday. I wanted to let you all know that on May 20th, I'm going to be hosting a virtual tarot hang from 7 to 8.30 p.m. Eastern. And this is going to be the first of something I'm, I'm going to be sending out every month uh, out there into the world. It's a chance for you to come together with other readers from around the world. And truly, I mean that. I know that I have one friend and client who is joining us from overseas. And get in some practice reading time because that really is the most crucial part of learning and working with the tarot is just simply doing it. And there's only so many times you can read for your roommate or your friend before you need to find other ways of practicing or yourself. You're welcome to bring any new spreads, new ideas or new decks that you've been wanting to try out. I'll also be sharing a new spread with you that I've created specifically for this event. And then we'll partner up and spend most of the time in extended practice sessions using the Zoom breakout room function. And then at the end, we'll all come back together for a bit and share what our experiences were, any major takeaways. Um, it's just a really relaxed, fun, low stakes uh, opportunity for you to nerd out with other uh, tarot folks. So the link to register will be in my show notes and in my bio on Instagram at man of the cards. It's $15 to reserve your seat, but my Patreon members get automatic free access to these monthly hangs. And I want to give a huge, huge, huge shout out to everyone that has joined me over on Patreon. I can't tell you how much it means to me, how much it supports this work. Thank you so, so much. Um, if you do enjoy listening to this podcast and would like to throw a little love uh, my way, please consider supporting the program over on Patreon. For as little as $2 a month, you get to receive early access to all these episodes, plus um, bonus Q&A episodes. I'm actually just getting ready probably later this week to send out a poll or a questionnaire on Patreon asking for questions that people would like answered, and then I'm going to create a special Patreon-only episode of the podcast answering those questions. Um, you'll also get notified first about any upcoming events and workshops. And as I said before, you'll get complimentary invitations to these monthly tarot hangs. So that's patreon.com slash man of the cards, and I'll drop that in the show notes as well. And if you're not able to join right now, that's totally cool. I'm still sending out huge thanks for being here and for listening. And you can always uh, feel free to share this podcast with anyone else you think might like it or on social media. But just thank you all so much for, for being here. So I am thrilled to introduce you today to our guest, Cassandra Snow. Um, but before I do that, I just want to remind everyone 
that early bird registration is now open for the summer 2021 searcher symposium, which will feature two parts this year. And Cassandra will be joining us for the first part, which is the searcher solstice tarot conference. This event will feature six hours of workshops and panels led by leaders in the fields of tarot, astrology, numerology, and sound ritual. And it will be spread out over the weekend of the summer solstice, which is June 18th through the 20th. And Cassandra will be joining for the Saturday night Q&A panel discussion that will feature myself, Charlie Claire Burgess, and Cassandra. And we will be discussing sex, sexuality, and gender as they apply to the tarot and taking uh, audience questions and just having an in-depth discussion on that topic. I'm super excited for that. Um, the second part of the symposium is my virtual tarot study groups. Uh, participants in these groups meet once a week for six weeks, and we discuss tarot topics, share our experiences, do practice readings with each other, and talk through exercises and homework that I assign each week. So it's really just a nice way to have some consistency as you uh, grow and evolve your tarot practice. There's a variety of price points and payment plans available for all of these offerings, but the early bird discount, which gives you 10% off the entirety of your payment plan, will end on May 17th with all the prices returning to full on May 18th. So if any of this does sound appealing to you, and I, I really hope it does because I am incredibly excited about all of it, the teachers that are coming for the conference are incredible. Um, I'm just so excited about it. I would encourage you to get registered early so that you can save. I'll drop the link in the show notes for that as well. And also in my bio, as I said before, and you can also access that on my website at manofthecards.com slash symposium. All right, now on to today's guest. Cassandra Snow is a tarot reader, tarot and witchcraft teacher and writer operating out of Minneapolis, Minnesota. They have two books out from Wiser Books, Queering the Tarot and Queering Your Craft, Witchcraft from the Margins. Cassandra's work focuses on making the tarot and witchcraft accessible for those who are marginalized or struggling to connect. They teach on topics like tarot for empowerment for fat people and sex positive tarot, in addition to unique and fun 101 style classes and their work on queering these mediums. You can learn more and see their blog at cassandra-snow.com or supporting their ongoing writing at patreon.com slash Cassandra Snow. Our conversation today touches on the topics of what it means to queer the tarot, the importance of staying aware and open to the critique of even our most beloved of magical traditions, and some of the specific ways that Cassandra likes to approach the cards in order to make them more inclusive and accessible. So I hope you enjoy this conversation. I hope that maybe I will see you at our monthly tarot hang. And I very much hope I might see you this summer for Searcher Symposium. Thanks for being here. Um, so I'm Cassandra Snow, they, them pronouns. I live in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Um, I'm very active in communities here. And I just feel like that's important to note just because Minneapolis is kind of a hotbed for a lot of political action right now that I am super, you know, on the side of substantial change, expansive change. Other things I would normally say here are... Um, I've been reading tarot since I was 18, which I realized today means literally half my life, Wow! Uh, which is exciting. <laughs> um, 
as well as doing witchcraft for that long. Um, I actually have been a tarot reader and a witch longer than I have been out of the closet, which was another like, I always kind of knew that, but today was one of the first days I was actually like thinking about it. Mm. Um, And then I, people listening probably know me as the writer of either the blog or the book Queering the Tarot, mm-hmm. as well as my latest book, Queering Your Craft, Witchcraft from the Margins, which came out in November, um, both available wherever you buy books. Amazing. What a, what a track <laughs> record. What a, what a history. It's, that's amazing. Um, and, uh, you know, it's interesting to me. I was kind of reflecting, you know, before we hopped on today that when a lot of people start to first learn how to read tarot, because, you know, we all have to start somewhere, the the definitions that you begin with are often, you know, kind of rigid and, and a little reduced down, you know, to sort of those keywords, like in the little white books, you know, a lot of times, but as you continue to practice and read, you realize that these meanings, you know, keep blooming and expanding and opening up to make room for, you know, everything in life. Like I, I really believe that tarot has to reflect, you know, the fullness of our life. So will you share a bit about your journey with tarot and, you know, how it started and then how it has continued to bloom and evolve over the years? Yeah. So I had sort of a interesting stop and start in the get be- or start and stop in the beginning, because I was handed a tarot card or a tarot card, a tarot deck. And it was just like a silly novelty deck. When I was like 18, I was sitting in a dorm room basement with some friends, only half of whom I still am friends with, although I live with one of them. So that worked out, but, (laughs) (laughs) I and, you know, I was a good little Christian girl, none of which are words I would use to describe myself now. (laughs) And, I really was going through it. Like in addition to being in the closet in the Bible belt, which is difficult. And I would say sometimes traumatic, depending on your family and stuff, even just as it is. But on top of that, I had some really significant, like horrible, like, uh, two sexual assaults within a month of each other, my freshman year, just Mm. like really hard, difficult stuff to be going through. And especially when you're like 18, you don't really know yourself and you're thrown into the fishbowl of, I was at a very small liberal arts college, which in some ways benefited me, but in other ways is such a fishbowl. And it's like, nothing you do is just for you Mm -hmm. in that setting. Um, and so I was just really struggling to find answers, Um, you know, the faith I'd been raised in the faith I was surrounded by at the school was no longer supporting me. Mm -hmm. And all of that being said, I was really just flailing. I wouldn't even say I was looking for answers. I was honestly just really in survivor mode and getting through the day. Mm -hmm. And in this basement, we were, um, I sort of lived a double life too. Cause I had like good little Christian me, but then I also, I was a theater major and I had my, (laughs) quote unquote, like alternative theater friends. And it was that group of friends that were in the basement. Mm -hmm. Um, And one of them handed me the deck of cards and said, here, you're psychic, you try it. (laughs) And I don't, and I don't even remember who did that or who said that to me. Like, I have no idea which of the friends it was, but I remember completely reeling because I had never even used that word to just to like define or describe myself. And so I was like, what did you just say? (laughs) But the (laughs) But then everyone else was being chill and I didn't want to have yet another meltdown. I was kind of known for them at the time, but (laughs) um, so I just pulled it out and pulled some cards and I was really shaken without knowing anything, without even looking at it, it came with like a little white book and without even looking at it, I felt really moved by the images. And I do think one of the very first cards I pulled was the tower and then, wow there were a lot of cards about clarity and truth, which is sort of throughout the tarot deck. And so it kind of scared me. I actually, I was like fascinated by it. And then I also wanted nothing to do with it because I like, I don't know, I felt almost too seen and too called out. And Mm -hmm. I was like, I have not even confronted these things to myself yet, let alone sitting here with all of these friends. And I don't even know if I trust most of them. And Mm -hmm. um, so Um, I started, you know, 
Googling with my college Wi-Fi, which was not what it is now, but I was able to find some stuff or was well, it wasn't even Wi-Fi. I had a cord, but um, so, and I found some stuff and I was like, okay, I was able to kind of make some sense of it. And so for a really long time, I just turned to the tarot when I was really desperate. And I was like, I just need something that's going to make me feel better or make me not feel better in a way that's going to actually make me do something about it. So for a long time, in spite of the fact that there are some barriers to comprehension with the tarot, specifically if you are marginalized, specifically if you are, if you, your learning style is just not super mainstream, you know, all of these things. I think tarot was really acting in, you know, at its root, it wants to help. It wants to support your growth as a person, as a spiritual person. And I think at its root, it was doing what it needed to do, which means I didn't even notice sort of those constrictions or perceived constrictions at first. Um, And then I started reading a little bit more. I got a little bit more comfortable with at least the tarot part um, over the next couple of years. You know, I got a couple different decks, played with those. Um, And it wasn't until I sat down to like, really dig in. And I will say that, um, well, let me finish that thought first, but, um, it wasn't until I actually picked up a couple of tarot books, like full books, not the LWBs or guidebooks that come with your deck that I started running into some of those barriers that you talked about that you mentioned. And given that I am a creator, a creative person, you know, I just funnily enough found my very first tarot journal the other day and I was so amused, mm. but I was also so impressed by like 18, 19, 20 year old me because I wasn't even out of the closet yet. And there were notes on the side that were like, that feels not right. Gay people exist <laughs> like the notes I had taken from books and stuff. And like, that feels not right. I have trans friends. Like mm-hmm. I, Um, And then like, especially I think one thing I have become, I became aware of very quickly is um, a lot of the ways if the if the court cards are described as people, a lot of times it's actually sometimes kind of racist the way they're described so I had a bunch of notes about that and and this was like in my journal from when I was like 18. So part of me was like, whoa, my understanding of this card has matured so much from here. But then part of me was like, good job, little me calling out this stuff. Um, So I say all of that to say, when I got into reading professionally, um, which started as a side hustle, and then I was lucky enough, and it really is luck that allows people to go into work for themselves successfully most of the time. Mm Um, to sustain a client base that um, supported me. But when I started reading for other people, um, those barriers kept coming up, it kept coming up. By the time I started reading, even as a side hustle, I um, was fully out, fully like living in Minneapolis, like quote unquote in the city or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, Minneapolis doesn't always feel like that to me, but I know that it is a, (laughs) it is a city. Um, But And so those barriers were coming up for other people as well. I had a really close friend that was really questioning his sexuality and wanted really clear answers from the tarot. And sometimes it just came down to like me explaining why I was getting there, showing my work, how I was getting there. It was just like not what would have made him feel better about it at the time. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that's just the way it goes with clients, right? Like sometimes you just can't say the right thing, but it still felt like a limitation on the, I don't want to say that the tarot itself is limiting, but the way that, because it's not at all, um, but the way that we understand it can be, Yes, I, I think is what you were getting at. And so, you know, I did a bunch of deep dives into like the Jungian theories and like thought behind the tarot and some deeper dive. And I wasn't even super interested for myself at that point, but I did deeper dives into like the occultism of um, Arthur Waite and Pamela Coleman Smith and um, was able to, you know, start my work on queering the tarot. So that started um, 
at that point, those barriers started kind of falling away, but it did take literally a lot of like writing and sort of transcribing my thoughts into words um, yeah. to kind of get there. Right. You. It's funny, you've basically uh, given the thesis for this entire interview and what you've just said. <laughs> I, I'm def- I want to I want to pick apart a lot of a lot of the points that you have made uh, so far. So your book, Queering the Tarot, that you mentioned earlier, um, is so well known and much beloved in the tarot community. And I, I'd love to kind of dive into what led you to write that. Um, yeah. I know that it kind of started with the the blog on Little Red Tarot. Um, but first of all, what, what does the idea of queering the tarot mean to you? Yeah, so my concept of queering the tarot actually comes more from concepts that you learn when you're like, so I don't know if, I don't want to speak for any other queer people, but when I was like, oh, I'm gay. And then once I came out as gay, I was never really in the closet as non-binary. There just weren't like words or pronouns that people were using at the time. But like, Mm -hmm. I always liked when my partners called me their boyfriend and stuff like that. But as soon as I started coming out of the closet, I started like studying queerness. Like we didn't really have any queer theory tracks at Mars Hill. I don't Mm -hmm. even know if they do now, but we certainly didn't then. Um, But I started just picking up every book about LGBTQ plus people that I could find. Um, And so the concept that I kept running into was the idea of like, you know, there were essays I read that were like queering suburbia and queering monogamy, even as a monogamous person, which I am and like stuff that I thought and so to me a lot of queering the tarot is those same concepts of like not just making it inclusive to us but specifically sort of like deconstructing it and then rebuilding it in a way that makes it explicitly for us mm-hmm. um and so finding ways to do that and so that's really where like the title and the idea of it came from and then I also do think queering has some like um kind of in your face implications of like it is fine if you are cishet or whatever but you need to actually examine what that means to you and Mm -hmm. like ask yourself important questions and so it kind of came from that as well um yeah and so I started it actually started at a now similar to little reddit's archived but um an online newspaper that a friend of mine started to do investigative journalism on Minnesota queer topics. Um, It was a lot of, you know, just a couple of people, um, my editor and, you know, whoever else was writing, doing really hard hitting pieces. Um, But I met him socially and then he was interested in doing some arts writing at the column and so we sort of became friends from that and one day I was just like I know this isn't your bag at all you're pretty atheist and but what if I did this and he was like actually you know what that's pretty cool and there's not anything like it so Hmm. I started doing queering the tarot there and then it got picked up at Little Red um and sort of ran in those places. I was so lucky. The way my first book was published is not normal. And I'm aware every day how lucky I am. But my beautiful editor, I don't know how public she wants to be. So I never say her name, but um, <laughs> she, the acquisitions editor that I work with sent me an email based on my blog and was like, hey, have you thought about making this a book? And I actually thought it was a trick at first. I like, I'm not used to <laughs> At that point, you know, I had a pretty hard life. And at that point, I was not really used to good things happening to me, especially out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. And so, and so I was like, this is fake, right? Like someone just looked up the name Wiser Books and is trying to trick me. Yeah. And so, um, but we kept talking and I kept being like, okay, they haven't asked for like my bank account number. They have mm-hmm. like, <laughs> I was like, this seems to be not a scam. So um, I don't know. It was one of those things like the whole time I wasn't sure it was going to really happen. And then all of a sudden it was on shelves and I was doing book events and 
so just so grateful for that opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. I hear that story actually from a lot of people that kind of like, I, I had no intention of making a book and then all of a sudden, you know, there it was, but, um, it's interesting. I think it's almost a testament to not to get like preachy about my faith. Cause I don't believe in that, but I really do think it is a testament to witchcraft. Cause I had been, I honestly had been doing spells to get a book, but mm. I didn't think it was going to happen yet because I had done nothing other than write this column. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I know no one in publishing. I don't know anything. And so I don't know. It's like one of the few things I feel a little bit like if I was going to evangelize about witchcraft, this would be one of the testimonials. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Um, I really like that you pointed out that queering the tarot is for everyone, you know, is for cishet people as well, because um, in my own work, sometimes it feels frustrating when I hear cishet people say, you know, well, this, this conversation, like for instance, about gender isn't really for me, you know, and I'm like, of course it is like gender, yeah. t- gender touches all of us, you know? So will you speak a little bit more about that? Yeah. So I always give my little disclaimer, like because of marginalizations and stuff, I do my work like pretty explicitly for LGBTQ plus people. Mm-hmm. That does not mean it does not have broader value, which you brought up. Um, and certainly it does. Um, and I think there's actually a lot of like, and I unfortunately can't point to a direct source on this, but there's a lot of really good conversations about how even if you are cisgender and heterosexual, your relationship to those things will be so much healthier and less compulsory if you actually take your time to examine like what does being straight mean to me? What does being a woman or a man mean to me? Mm-hmm. Um, which parts of what people think it is do I believe in and which parts do I do not? Um, and so... And, you know, I run in pretty radical political community, pretty um, feminist community. And so it's interesting, a lot of people in my life who are cishet have like done that work already. I sometimes forget that the rest of the world has not. Mm -hmm. Uh, um, And so, uh, but no, you're right. And like the flip side of that is knowing those people the relationships they have with themselves, the confidence in who they are and what they want and is like so much stronger than I think people who do not ever question and ask themselves the hard question. And I think a lot of people, frankly, are afraid to ask themselves those questions because they are afraid maybe they are not fully cisgender, maybe they are not fully heterosexual, so they avoid it, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, which is obviously hurting them. So I do have some empathy. And at the same time, I do want my work to be like a safer space for people who have asked those questions and struggled, but came out on the other side. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious too, you mentioned coming, you know, being raised in this kind of, you know, religious conservative, uh, you know, background or place. Um, You know, a lot of times, like I, I grew up in that as well, Southern Baptist and a lot of us, I think in the magical community also, you know, come from that kind of place and we look to escape it, you know, when we come to witchcraft or uh, whatever. And it's interesting how in a lot of ways, sometimes we find ourselves back in a, a different kind of box again, you know, yeah. because because witchcraft also exists in the realm of humans, you know, and, and also is influenced. Um, and I think sometimes still restricted by patriarchal systems and values, you know, so and heteronormativity, you know, can you can you speak about that about as you were coming into witchcraft and any yeah. any block any blocks you came across there that surprised you? Absolutely. I think um, one of the things that surprised me and was uncomfortable. So the way the student body of Mars Hill was at the time, I ended up once I started realizing I was gay, I just had a lot more gay male friends than any other queer friends. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, it's just who went to that school, you know, mm-hmm. but or who was out at the time or whatever. Um, And some of them started sort of exploring alternative spiritual paths with me. And that was really cool, but it actually like, I think one of the things I was most disheartened and disappointed by was there were just a lot of spaces that were for witches, but it it was clear that that meant a certain thing to them, which was like 
a cis woman, usually straight, not always, but indefinitely, if not like super second wave feminist, which I have always knock on all the wood, hopefully been a little bit more up to date then. Mm -hmm. Um, And so um, some of it was the discomfort of like, well, I really want to do this thing, but I have really bad social anxiety disorder and like none of my safety net friends could come with me to some stuff. And so that just felt really weird to me. Mm -hmm. Um, And then it also just made me sad for them because they were really interested and they wanted to do things. Mm -hmm. And obviously there were things we found in places we did, but early on there was just this energy that like there was a type of witch and there was the right type of witch. I also felt very um, restricted by, and I want to be careful how I say this because I don't want to trash a religion or a path that is marginalized. So I just won't name it, but there were, there were just certain kinds of witchcraft that were a lot more popular. So there were a lot more books about them and stuff. Mm-hmm. And that ended up not being the path that was right for me. And I do think that's the primary reason it was restrictive. That they just believed certain things that I don't necessarily believe. I do get a lot more explicit about queer about it in queering your craft. Um, especially like in queering your craft, I talk a lot about the tendency towards like womb worship and worshiping women as potential like mothers and that was so limiting to me not only as a feminist and not only as someone who you know there wasn't really another word but woman at the time Mm -hmm. however uh I had that sexual trauma that I talked about I have had PCOS since I was like I mean probably forever but it was like discovered when I was like 17 um and then as an artist, I actually found that extremely limiting. I was like, no, no, my power of creation is in the things I'm creating. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. um, so there were just a lot of things like that, that were really common sort of witch thought at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in so many ways, I just really had to forge my own path. I had to say, okay, what takes my body as it is? <laughs> um, and wants to work with me as that. And so I started piecing things together from kind of different styles of magic and what, like some occultism, some of this path and that path um, until something kind of worked for me. And we're in such a beautiful renaissance of sort of pagan and occult spirituality right now where it's actually not difficult to find people mm-hmm. who feel the way that you do if you have steady internet access anymore. But that's just not what it was when I was 20 years old. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. That the hesitancy that you, that you had earlier, which I, you know, totally understand as far as like not naming um, anything, you know, I, I think it's, it is so important to allow ourselves to still like be critical and be aware of, you know, the problem spaces, because like you said, I mean, this is a margin, these, you know, it's a community that's already marginalized. So you want to, you know, be open, but it's also kind of interesting because witchcraft is incredibly like individual, you know, there's not like an overarching dogma. Um, And, you know, I I wondered if as you were doing this work, as you were kind of becoming more public with your, you know, querying of the tarot and and talking about these things, um, did you encounter any, like any, anyone that was hesitant or even sometimes offended by this, this critique. I mean, I, I have experienced that myself. So I'm curious to hear, you know, how that was for you. Yeah. Um, it has been minimal and part of the reason, but it has happened. And part of the reason it's been minimal is a lot of our top selling pagan authors right now are LGBTQ plus or are young. Like they are younger millennials or older Gen Z. Mm -hmm. Um, and that thought is just that, that thought is just different. And so in some ways I have been like protected by the community of writers themselves. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's been so, so helpful. Um, But it's definitely happened. One of my only like one star reviews is from someone who said that I was taking a piss on the tarot. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And it was like really nasty and ugly. And I've actually tried to get it taken down Mm -hmm. um, because it's just an Amazon review. Mm -hmm. And it feels like this person didn't even read my book. Not that they would have liked it if they did, but that they just 
don't like queer people is honestly what it seemed like. Right. And so there has been that. And then um, the answer is definitely yes. Mm -hmm. I also did an interview that I didn't, I had a fine time, but there was just an awkward moment where when I think that this person reached out to me just because I'm a known tarot reader in that, you know, in the field and didn't actually do a lot of research into Mm. me. Mm -hmm. And when they asked about upcoming projects and stuff, and I said, well, queering the tarot is out, blah, blah, blah. And someone in the audience had asked me something about queering the tarot, like just some information that would have helped them, you know, like a basic learning question from a queer perspective. Mm -hmm. And the host was like, wait a minute, are you saying there's something derogatory in the tarot that needs fixed? And it was like kind of an (laughs) ugly moment. And I Mm -hmm. was like, and I think I handled myself well and he got back on track, but I was, it just really threw me. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so there has definitely been stuff like that. And I will also say, again, I'm very protected by the fact that I have Wiser's full support, the community of writers themselves. Mm-hmm. And like I had, I cannot handle interpersonal conflict well. It's like one of my flaws as a person. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but I really am someone who does not care what the world at large thinks. So <laughs> um, a lot of, I probably have received more of it than I remember because at the time I was just like, that's just like your opinion, man. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, in, it's kind of a little shocking. I think when these uh, bristles come up, like in the magical community, you know, I mean, I think 2020 revealed a lot of that in a lot of yeah. ways, like, you know, around black lives matter, but also around like QAnon, like I was shocked to see a lot of talk about QAnon and, and just, you know, and, and I think we, we feel shocked by that in the magical community and also shocked by that in the theater community. I'm sure you feel that as well, you know, so it's almost like a double whammy of just like, wow, you know, and, and it's, but then when you step back, it's like, of course, I mean, again, we're still, we're humans. We're just humans, you know, we're not, we're not gods and goddesses. We're just humans, you know? Yeah. So I'd love to dive in now a little bit to the way you talk about some of these cards, um, which I have really loved uh, learning about. So um, both in your book and on your blog, you decided to talk about the Empress and the Emperor together, which I really, really appreciated. I totally agree that they... They really have to be kind of talked about in that way. Will you will you kind of explain why you why you feel that way and how you look at those two cards? Yeah, I will also say that since I wrote this book, <laughs> my so my views have evolved. I think one thing that's different or difficult about being a writer of any sort of spiritual topics mm-hmm. is that if you're doing it right you keep learning and you keep growing and so you keep changing and so there are like even from queering your craft there are sections that I would just write differently now and that book came out in November Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) so um that being said I do think that they deserve to be read together largely because People get hung up on the court cards, but a lot of times it is thought that the queens correlate back to the empress and the kings correlate back to the emperor. And I actually don't necessarily agree or disagree with that statement. It's just what some people think. Uh It's in my understanding, but it's not necessarily the viewpoint I come from. But um, I think when you get into the book and get into the kings and queens to understand how they are different, you kind of need to compare and contrast some empress and emperor. And I also think because of their names, they get gendered so much. And Mm -hmm. I also think that they are overly simplistically boiled down often to mommy or daddy issues Um, in a way that is also hurtful. Like sometimes you're, and by hurtful, I also just mean not helpful. Like, Sometimes what we think of as mommy issues actually comes from your dad or something, you know, like, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so again, it was just something that I found really limiting primary, not in the cards themselves, but in the way it was written about. And I also think sometimes to deconstruct something that people are going to perceive or are perceiving as gendered, 
um, that you have to look at it together and understand like what similarities they have, what their relationship is. Mm -hmm. And then you can put whatever other sort of traits or ideas onto it that you want. And so it was a way to just kind of break it down more simply. Um, And then writing about tarot is actually a little bit complicated for me because (laughs) the way I come from, the way I come at the entire deck when I teach is that we should be looking at stories and connections and overarching narratives between cars. And so I will say just from a practical standpoint, it just would have been more difficult for me as a writer to write about one of these cards without continuously referencing the other one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's interesting, as you were talking, I was kind of just reflecting on, again, the way you feel when you're learning as a student and the way that I, I remember myself feeling as if the card, you know, because it has the the sort of mystique and the the history and and you don't really know a lot about it yet. And it feels like these cards have actual like meanings that are sort of fixed, you know? And then yeah. but like really what's happening and what you spoke to just very well right there is we we bring them to life. Like we bring our stories, you know, they, they are pieces of art that are really, you know, infinitely flexible and, and can really speak in a lot of ways and we bring it. So it's like, absolutely, it's really our own ability to be awake and aware and, you know, present and caught up to the times, you know, that, that is what will do it. Not the card itself, you know? Right. And I do think that while the cards themselves have even very recently been criticized for gendered stuff, patriarchal stuff, Mm -hmm. um, gender roles, even if you're not necessarily assigning a positive or negative to that. Um, I think it is easy to find those things in the cards. I don't necessarily know that that was the intention. I certainly think um, that what has happened is in all of the writing about tarot over the years, every tarot writer, no matter how progressive they may have been for the time, they are still, you know, they still grew up in the society they grew up in. They still have, you know, things that they haven't worked through yet. And that's true of me now. It's true of everyone. Mm -hmm. And so it's not even necessarily the tarot that is restricting. It's being able to sort of break away from Inter- all the internalized isms that we all deal with. Mm-hmm. Um, Although I do think that it also, it, that also applies to the artists, you know, and that's one reason that 100% I- 100% agree. Yeah. And that's one reason that I um, am kind of always pushing to try to, you know, move past old decks. I mean, to be honest with you, I, I'm kind of a big proponent of, of allowing Rider Waite Smith to kind of take a backseat place. You know, I mean, obviously it has a huge, huge place in our, in our history. And I definitely- you know, value that and, and understand that, but it was made, you know, the like turn of the century and a lot has changed. And so, and like you said, I mean, it's also reflective in the artists that are making the decks, you know? Absolutely. And I definitely see that. I think um, in an ideal world, yes. I think right now, the way, even my book, the way tarot is written about, like there's such pivotal images for the tarot that for like learners people who are starting out unfortunately that really is the easiest in sometimes and so so much of querying the tarot is like okay so how do we take this thing that was created in this time that had extremely limiting views on gender sexuality race all of these things and how do we make it something we can still work with and understand and actually enjoy and get a lot out of Mm-hmm. And I also think sometimes if that's the perspective you're coming from, it is a lot easier to grab a deck by a Cedar McLeod or someone like that. So, mm-hmm. um, so you mentioned the court cards and I'd love to talk about those a little bit. Um, you know, what are some ways that we can go about querying these cards that are often, like you said, so highly gendered, so based in heterarchy and, and feel kind of heteronormative? Yeah. Um, So when I teach tarot, one of the first things I say about the court cards is don't think of them as people first. Like they're almost always written about as people. And if that helps you, fine. But I think for people who are coming to me or to you as a teacher or a writer or whatever, Mm -hmm. that that's not going to be helpful to them. Mm -hmm. So I say, instead, look at the energy, like look at what is going on there. And querying the tarot, I really... 
um, tried to break down why the intention they were created with can still be reclaimed, can still be queer, um, can still work for us in that way. Um, the understanding I have of them today is honestly that I don't teach about them a lot in that way. I teach sort of the kings as externalized energy of the suits and the queens as the internalized energy of the suits. Mm-hmm. And so that completely breaks gender down because, and again, one of the things I hate about gender roles in general is they're always changing in society anyway, right? Like, right. Um, and right now the understanding is that like, women are the people making social plans doing this and that and so when you look at sort of the arc of the tarot and then you say okay well then queens are internalized and kings are externalized you're already subverting that a little bit and Mm -hmm. so um you're already going to be like okay that's what that is i also read the court cards in general a lot of the time as like where you are on the path that the suit wants you to be on so like pages are just starting and then kings are simply like the peak but then another thing that I really do, or the, and whereas queens would be like the mastery, and I think that's sort of a feminist retelling of them, um, that is really useful for a lot of people. But two of the things that have been the most useful to me, um, one of them that I'm sure I'm not the only person who's written about or thought about does, but <laughs> um, when you are laying out, but I know that I like I don't have sources for it, and in my mind, I like created the system, even if that's not true and people can fact check me, but, Uh (laughs) um, but that is understanding that just because the court cards come in a pack and they come in the order of page, knight, queen, king, that does not mean that that's how they have to be. You Mm -hmm. can mix up that order if that doesn't work for you. And so, And one way I really like doing that is each of the court cards have their elemental association as well. And so I tend to just kind of sort of mix them up, but mostly like, just like the suits correspond to an element. So for example, wands and knights are both fire. And so putting the knights sort of where the king would normally be because that's the peak of that suit, right? That's the most of that suit. Mm -hmm also kind of breaks you out of not only the gender stuff, but the hierarchy as well. And then another thing that a student in one of my classes said about the hierarchy specifically, but it helps if you're getting trapped with gender stuff too, is um, instead of putting the courts in a line when you're learning them, putting them in a circle so you can see how each energy feeds into the next one. Mm. And how they all are necessary to learn from each other. And what I love about that so much is when you reverse it, because you can, um, that also means that the king really needs that energy from the page even to inform who they are. Mm -hmm. So that's something I really love playing with, especially when I get a new deck. Um, And that's all still gender stuff. In terms of the heteronormativity that you mentioned, I think you can take two tacks when you're queering, and I think I talk about this in the book, but you can either throw it all out the window and just mm-hmm. build, build up a new understanding from, you know, your understanding of symbols, take getting a newer deck, learning what that creator thinks about the deck, et cetera. Um, but you can also, if you're like questioning your gender or sexuality, it's actually sometimes useful to have like binary in there as well as some other, like some heterosexuality, et cetera. But I think to make it inclusive, you have to do the work as a reader to go through your deck and say, okay, but where do I see figures that do not look heterosexual to me? Where do I see figures that do not seem like they have masculine or feminine energy to me and have something more expansive or non-binary than that? Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think if you are going to keep it in there and there are reasons to do that, just going through and doing the work of making sure that you're including as many sexualities and genders as possible and that they all have like cards that you kind of think about them as. 
Mm-hmm. That's really crazy to hear you talk about the courts and the um, the elemental connections, because I I did not know before you told me that, that you had been sort of thinking that way, but that's exactly as of late how I've thought about the courts with the whole, um, you know, like Knight of Wands would be, like you said, the most sort of max energy of the wand suit. Yeah. Um, and I, I do find that really helpful. And then it's interesting to look at those cards that overlap, um, you know, like uh, Queen of Pentacles and Page of Cups would both yeah. be, you know, water and earth. And I do think there are differences there, but you have to kind of dig a little deeper um, and and really examine, you know, what would what would the difference between earth of water or water of earth, you know, be? Yeah. Um, but it's it's just great. I mean, it's it's like you said, it's a, a way to totally just take out you know, gender or even just people, you know, and just yeah. look at, at the elements. Um, so yeah, I, I, I love that. Um, I'm wondering, you mentioned that even having written something as, as recently as November, there were already some things that you would change. Um, you know, are there places in tarot, whether it's a card or just the way that you work with the cards where you, where you still feel like there's maybe a little further for you to go and, and that you're kind of still examining? Yeah, I think, my relationship with the devil is always changing and evolving and growing. I have not, I have rarely read that card as specifically negative. And also, which is like very different from a lot of other readers. And the reason that I don't, and I talk about this in Queering the Tarot, is because it is a card that often has sort of like a brazen sexuality or even just sexiness to it. Mm-hmm. Um And when we look at the devil specifically as something that is negative, something that is keeping you in unfun bondage or whatever, Mm -hmm. for queer, for people who are gay, who are bi, who are pan, that's like really harmful to equate sexuality with that. And so that was sort of my first, like, okay, maybe I need to dig deeper at this card. And Mm -hmm. then... On top of that, coming out of like some, and my religious trauma from the South is minor, but I uncover every week in therapy that like, maybe some of it is not quite as minor as I thought. (laughs) Um, And I don't even know that some of it is the South. I think some of it is like societal views of sex and gender and stuff Mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. just are heightened in the Bible belt. Um, And so, uh And then some of it is like, you know, getting into paganism. I have a lot of friends who are Luciferians who are Satanists. And so reading that as a negative card never sat well with me. Mm -hmm. And I also work with those entities from time to time as well. So I was like, uh, and at the same time, I am a, I mean, I'm a double Pisces. I'm really more than a double Pisces, but two of my primary placements are Pisces and Mm -hmm. I am no stranger to indulgence. And in recent history, the devil has shown up more traditionally. And I've had to take a step back and be like, huh. (laughs) Um, And so that is one that like, okay, so how do I bring my compassionate understanding of the figure of the devil and why this is actually good with the idea that also this is a card and one of the only cards that really tells us when maybe we have gone too far so like how do I marry those two ideas together into something cohesive and the fact of the matter is sometimes you can't right when there are competing ideals you sometimes can't Mm -hmm. um but sometimes you can and so I'm trying to figure out like what the line is so that's a very personal story but it also is very much like I don't know I just feel like the devil is one of those cards that you could like endlessly mine for nuance and information I also read on your blog that you uh lately are starting to use tarot a lot more for like creative inspiration yeah um and you mentioned the practice of word banking which I had not heard of but I really loved will you tell us a little bit about that yeah I uh used to really want to keep my tarot and my witchy life and my theater life separately. And that obviously did not work over time, (laughs) but Mm -hmm. I, um, and I'm not so again, another, we all have flaws as humans. I'm also just not great at boundaries. So it just from a personal level didn't work. Um, but I really love, I think, something that gets really overlooked in all of paganism or occultism or whatever your sort of path for magic is 
Something that really gets overlooked in modern day is how important the creative mind and our potential for creation um, as creative people is it's right there in those original witchy and occult texts, you know, like that, that's what we should be doing. Mm-hmm. Um, the tarot itself were creative projects for Pamela Coleman Smith and Lady Frida Harris of the Golden Dawn. So like, it's all right there. And yet in the modern day, I don't know, and some of it is society, right? Like we have it we have everything so capitalized that mm-hmm. um, if you're not good enough to make money at it, you don't do it or whatever. So, um, and I think that's so sad. And so <laughs> I've been doing some work on my blog, as well as with a class I'm doing with a good friend of mine in June and July. Um, I've been trying to sort of encourage people to open up that creative side of themselves again, including an artist. I think so much of the time as artists, we feel like if it's not for the public, it's n- then we just don't do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's also really harmful to us. So, because again, self-care is a thing, even if you're really <laughs> extroverted and you should create just for yourself. So all of that is sort of the background of why I um, went sort of on that path and why I'm thinking and writing about it so much lately. Um, and um, one of the blogs I did really like that I wrote was word banking, which um, I actually learned it from a poet friend of mine who does poetry prompts both online and in a workshop that they lead here in the Twin Cities. Um and poetry is one of the types of creation that like, I don't ever want anyone to read any of my poems, even the ones I secretly think are very good. Um, That is just for me. And it is sort of how I express that side that I just talked about, but they are big on word banks as poetry prompts and poetry starters. And so I honestly was just pulling at cards and thinking one day and I was like, I don't know, I'm not getting anything from these keywords on this card. I don't feel like these are really the issues in the cards are not the ones I'm really wanting to write about today. And then like, it's almost like visually, like all of these symbols started popping out at me. So I just started writing like grass, yellow dog, like, Mm -hmm. and then I was like, well, what if I use that for this poem? And it ended up really fine. I wouldn't say it was my best poem, but it was like (laughs) certainly a good creative exercise. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think regardless of what you're creating for yourself, whether it is visual art, I will also even sometimes pull a tarot card and word bank um, and buy that. And so what I mean is pull a card and just list out every symbol you see that stands out to you and then use that as a word bank. So if you pull... um, let's say a traditionally inspired sun, even if you're not using Rider White Smith, a lot of them still have a lot of the same elements, especially with the sun. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's a good example, but so sure on your word bank, you'd write the sun. You'd probably also write child. You'd probably also write dog or horse or, you know, whatever the child is riding on, depending on the deck. Mm -hmm. Um, You'd probably write flowers. I do recommend getting specific. And so if you know what kinds of flowers are illustrated on the card, writing that, that being said, I don't expect a tarot reader to be like, a flower expert necessarily. <laughs> right. so it's, okay. it's okay if you don't, but if you do know, um, and compile a list of, I think 10 to 15 max, just because otherwise it's all word bank and no actual creative writing. Um, and then just use that, making sure you plug those words in, using those words to inspire you as you write or draw or whatever you're going to do. Um, and I just think it's such a good exercise both for creative outlet and to sort of um, connect you to the card more because you notice a lot more when you're not like looking for it from a tarot perspective. Yeah, yeah, I love that. I'm I'm definitely gonna give that a try. I I loved reading that blog. Um, So my final question for you is, I'm just curious to hear how this last year in the pandemic has changed (laughs) your relationship to tarot, your practice, any of your understanding of it, you know, anything that's kind of evolved for you over the course of the pandemic? Yeah. So um, I used to read at a shop 12 hours a week and I stayed pretty busy most of the time. Wow. And so, yeah. Uh, And so I actually felt very disconnected from tarot when the pandemic started. Like I do have some online clients, but it was not at the same pace, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. 
And so I was pulling like three or four readings a week, plus my personal ones. Um, and so, but in some ways that growth was really nice. Again, similar to how I talked about how creators will often only create things sort of for mass consumption. I mean, as mass as a theater audience in a mid-sized city ever is, but um, <laughs> we, we don't create. I, I mean, spiritual creators are the same way. I was not doing the connective work with Tara when I was reading 12 hours a week, every week that I think I'm kind of back to doing now. And so I, in some ways, I almost think the timeout was important. I want to be very clear that I, like everyone, wish the pandemic had not happened. But mm -hmm. <laughs> um, that is one thing is it's kind of slowed me down, which has allowed for sort of new understandings of the tarot mm -hmm. um, and new connections to it. I also had some major health issues this year, completely unrelated to the pandemic. Like I had my gallbladder out in March mm -hmm. um, and it was huge. It was like the stone was like eight centimeters long. So I was oh clearly gosh. like really not feeling good for a while. Right. Um, and I still am not really recovered from that surgery just because that's such a shock to take something that size out of your body. Mm -hmm. um, and so that has also kind of forced me to slow down and connect with it. And so I think a lot of my advice for beginners coming out of that is actually like, take your time. There is no rush to learn this. And if you're rushing to learn it, you might be doing that for the wrong reason. So you might want to reassess why you're learning tarot. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, in terms of personal change, it's mostly just been slowing down. And I'm more likely now to let one card kind of sit with me all day instead of wanting to pull clarifiers to get quick answers, which I used to be kind of bad about doing. And it's fine if that's how you read. But I am someone who, even with clients, even if they sit down for a half hour, sometimes there will only be five cards on the table because you can keep going with those cards. Right. Um, but again, I wasn't giving myself that space and I wasn't giving myself that grace. And so that is really the thing that has changed. And I think the way that I have been using the tarot for connection to the outside world has obviously changed. Mm -hmm. I am incredibly introverted and even more socially anxious than I am introverted. And so me using the tarot for social purposes before was very much like, tell me how to avoid people. Um, <laughs> and now it's like, okay, but how can I still feel connected to the world around me, which is something the tarot loves to help you with. Mm -hmm. Um and then finally, I would say too, a lot of my, a lot of the reasons so much of my tarot thinking and writing right now is about creativity is because I'm not producing multiple plays a year. Right. Um, and so it's almost like I just had excessive creative energy. So that ended up going into exploring parts of the tarot that frankly, I think need to be explored and have been, but it's again, a topic you're never going to like there's never going to be a cap on like, okay, we now have enough writing about creativity in the tarot. Yeah. Like there's an infinite amount of things you can still say from there. Yeah. You have to have to make some space. And it's interesting to think about when tarot first came around, like long, long ago, you know, there was a lot more space for, for things than we have mm -hmm. like in our current life. So um, also in, in tourist season, you know, listening to you talk about, about slowing down, you know, that sounds like a good lesson for, right. for us, for us where we are right now. <laughs> for um, sure. Yeah. So thank you so, so much for this wonderful conversation. Um, you are I'd so love, welcome. Thank you. Yes. I would love to let you just share with everyone um, where they can find you and follow you and yeah. purchase your books and anything else you want to talk about. Cool. So you can buy my books wherever you buy books. Um, you know, that's fine. Whatever matches your ethics and your budget, they'll have my book or they can order it for you. Um, <laughs> so that for sure, it's probably going to be easier to find at metaphysical shops or uh, my publisher does have a really good relationship with Barnes and Noble. So you can walk into almost any Barnes and Noble and just grab it off the shelf, grab one or both of them off the shelf. Um, so yeah, that's that. Um, and they also come in ebook form. And I know Queering, Queering the Tarot has an audio book. I don't know if Queering Your Craft does yet. I'm sure it's happening. Mm-hmm but I don't know if it's happening yet, but Queering the Tarot definitely has an audio book as well. Um, 
and yeah, other than that, I don't have anything coming out eminently. I'm actually sort of querying agents and stuff right now. And the best way to support my writing and get a whole bunch of writing that is not going on my blog, and I'll get to my blog in a second, is through my Patreon, which is just patreon.com slash Cassandra Snow. Um, it's anything at $3 a month gets you access to almost every thing. Um, the only thing you gain at $10 a month or more is you get entered into a monthly drawing for a free reading that month. And that doesn't start until May. So you're good if you sign up soon. Mm, <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> and then, and then my highest two levels get personalized readings every month, but, um, and then my blog, Cassandra-Snow.com, and then just click on the blog. It'll be easier to tell you to just click on the blog part from there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I have some upcoming classes. I have my Tarot for Today series where we examine the tarot from a modern perspective. My upcoming May class is on what the cards have to say about burnout and how to both avoid it, but then recover from it when it inevitably happens and why that is such an important modern topic and what the cards have to say about that. Um, (laughs) And then uh, I have, I mentioned creativity in weird times with my dear friend, Siri Pluff of Northern Light Switch. Um, That is also for sale on my website. And those are both on the tarot class registration part. And finally, I am most active. Um, social media wise on Instagram, where it's just tarot, Cassandra, no capitals or special characters or anything. Okay. Amazing. And you're going to join us this summer for the tarot conference. Can't wait for that. Yeah. When does, when does this air? Um, This will probably be in like two weeks. Okay. So I'm also going to, so I am so, so excited about your conference. I'm also doing the between the veils conference. Um, second to last weekend in May, I believe, but you can, okay. yeah, just Google between the veils conference and it'll pop up Amazing. and that I'll actually be doing a presentation on creativity for queer people in the tarot. So a lot of the stuff we talked about today. Incredible. So you are not slowing down. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> this is so slow for me, <laughs> like, um, but I'm also spending a lot of time writing. So it feels slow because it is me disengaged from the world, which is what needs to happen. But yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you again. This was, this was wonderful. And um, yeah, I just thank you so much for joining me. Yeah. Thank you so much. This was so great. Thanks for listening to In Search of Tarot. If you feel called, please share this podcast with someone you think will enjoy it. You can also support this offering by hitting subscribe and leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Whatever you do, breathe deeply and be well.